The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State Athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. You know, last night, a couple hours before kickoff of the national championship game, I was thinking, 13 and a half points, that's a lot of points. Yep. And then I heard Kendry Miller is not going to play. I was like, yeah, you probably take the dogs, minus 13 and a half. Kendry Miller wasn't going to save TCU for what happened last night. Horn Frogs fans, I feel for you. You went through... The longest night in in college football history, as in the longest night of sitting through the biggest game of the year, and you take the worst loss in college football national championship history. Final score sixty five to seven. You take the disastrous loss, which uh, congratulations for getting there. I think TCU absolutely deserved to be there. I don't want to hear that they didn't. Their their only loss was to a top 10 Kansas State team in its conference championship in overtime on the last play of the game. Nick Saban wants to tell you Alabama should have been in there. They lost twice in the regular season on last plays of the game. Oh, boy, did he get smoked last night, by the way. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that was Half-time. beautiful. That was beautiful. But TCU fans spent a lot of money to be there. Oh, couldn't tailgate, and then you get inside, and you're paying about twenty bucks a beer. And, oh, rough! And, and then if you were in the upper deck and a TCU fan, you also got rained on. Oh yeah, because the rain. Well, like they weren't. It wasn't like straight down. It was blowing in, right? Correct. Yeah, because that's just a huge canopy over the field, California, where they don't put windows on press boxes or walls on the stadium. I was bouncing back and forth <laughs> on the broadcasts because every ESPN channel had some sort yes. of variation of broadcast. But on ESPN2, you had the Pat McAfee show basically broadcast, and I would tune in in and out to those guys. And I loved hearing Pat McAfee rip that stadium. I always thought it was stupid to have the one end of the stadium open. like It's, it's open-air stadium, but it has the roof on it. And I was like, what's the point? Like It gets pretty hot in L.A., it's a dry heat, but it gets pretty hot there. Like, that doesn't make it any better to play in. No. It, no. It, you, you, you wasted money on a roof, really. Uh, okay, you've got shade. That's about it. D- does the roof provide that? At least some. Not a great amount. But I just basically thought it was glass. Like the, the, the No, s- no, it's not glass. They couldn't do glass because or, uh, you know. you'd wind up the same way that the old Astrodome did when it was originally built. See, they built that with glass panels. And they proceeded to torch all of the natural grass that they had inside the dome. Yeah, okay. So they had to change it up at both sides of that deal. But it's still like see-through. Relatively like, see-through. Like you can see the sun through it is what I'm saying. Anyway. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's humorous. Welcome to the game. Mitch Fortner alongside Trey Coverdale and Travion Berkland. Looks tired. You all right? I'm cool. Long night, long, long night of work. What shirt are you wearing today? Got a white hoodie on. Oh, another MTV. Back-to-back days yeah. M- represent, representing MTV. I give him credit. The young man's got taste. He does, and he's also a hustler. He he works a lot. <laughs> a lot. Oh, oh, I know. Classes, two jobs, three jobs, right? You have three mm-hmm. jobs? 
remember, first person I see in the morning, other than my own wife. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, back to that national twice champi- a week. Back yeah. to the national championship game. Watching TCU play defense and the way they were tackling oh. that, that that told me the story right there. I was like, there is not a chance that TCU can stop them. They're not fast enough, and it's. Every time, one-on-one tackle, one-on-one, trying to one-on-one tackle, and they're trying to go low. I was like, that they're going to run right through that. It's like trying to eat ramen with a spoon. It's going to slip right off, and you're going to struggle. It's <laughs> It wasn't working. Nothing. T- I, I felt so bad for TCU. Um, but somebody brought it up on Twitter earlier. I thought this was a great question. Great question. Would you, like, ask K-State fans, would we rather have – K-State season or TCU season? Oh, wow. And I got to thinking, like, yeah, they made it to the national championship, like knowing, all right, you're going to make it to the national championship game, but you're going to have your head kicked in. I have to stick with K-State's. They're, they got the conference championship. I mean, TCU still won the Fiesta Bowl in a, in a fantastic game against Michigan. Which was beautiful to watch just because they kicked the crap out of Harbaugh. Yeah, that's a man. Although, you know, I, I, I get the point. I mean, at least in K-State's case, you've got a trophy on top of it because you want a conference title. But the ultimate goal is the championship at it, the national level is making the national championship. Yeah. K-State's never played for a natty in my life and anything. Uh, I don't I don't know the last time K-State in any sport has played for it mm, might be men's basketball no. in the 50s. I don't know. Yeah. Did, I, didn't even play for the Natty then. They made the final four, didn't play for the Natty. Well, they played Kentucky. You're right. For a national championship. My bad. Yep, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Final four. Which I the, believe uh, still Kentucky vacated and uh still doesn't count. Something like that, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was a long night. I did not watch the whole game. Oh I, no. I was watching the spread. I sacked at I, halftime and uh was very mad at myself that I suckered myself into going ahead and betting TCU plus 13 and a half. Did you? Even even that much I'm so I'm going uh they they're going to they're going to keep it within a couple touchdowns. I think a lot of people were betting that, I would say, cuz oh. I don't think the line really ever moved. No, it didn't. It didn't. So I'm it's sure just, I'm sure Vegas was getting quite a bit of money on TCU. Yeah, there's a reason why they that they've also got all those nice big shiny buildings. Yeah. Yeah, I got suckered in just like two thirds of the country. That was brutal. Probably shouldn't have known better too. I'll be honest, I know. With you, the, I know. The only real Georgia anything I've watched this year is because I I noticed or somebody made it aware to, that Georgia was losing in Columbia. Yes, and Missouri had a chance to knock them off. Like what? Yeah, that that's about the most Georgia I've watched all year. I know how good they are. They kicked a lot of butt this year. Well, they thought they could sleepwalk through that game. They kind of did. Are you talking about the Missouri game? Yeah. I was like saying the national championship game, they kind of did. There's players that went over to a suite during the game and got some food from people in a suite and started eating on the sideline in the second half. Yes. Yeah. That is way too comfortable. And then you have TCU fans on uh, TikTok complaining that there isn't enough TCU merch to buy. I wanted to buy Sugar Bowl merch, and then I didn't. And then after the game, and then after it's lost, I just kind of lost my urge to buy it. Even right. though I wanted something that said K State Sugar Bowl New Orleans on right. it. Right. What's really scary is Georgia's going to be how good again next year? Well, Dan that Patrick, is a young team. 
Dan Patrick brought up earlier on on his show a thought that I had today because I was looking at their schedule and I think you know oh. social media has been tearing it up today because everybody's been looking at the schedule. Hey, Georgia is going to be super talented again next year. Who do they play? And it's just a it is a schedule of cupcakes. Yep. Very weak SEC schedule, which really, I mean, that's no blame on them on their part, but it's also a weak, a super weak non-con. They were supposed to play Oklahoma this year. It also next year. It also reiterates how bad the SEC East really is. Yeah. No Honestly, I mean, the West is a behemoth. Other than other than Tennessee. Other than Tennessee, and will they be able to replicate without Hooker at quarterback next year? Yeah. Also, uh, around here, today's kind of a big day. Oh? It's K-State Hoops' return, oh. return of the doom. No, it's going to be fun tonight. I see you're dressed up, so I'd imagine you're going. Of course I'm going. Got the collar, collar button-up shirt. What are you, are you wearing jeans, slacks? Yes, I'm wearing jeans. Okay. Yeah, this game is sold out, guys. I gave away a couple of tickets on social media earlier today. Um. This is going to be the loudest non-KU game I think we've had since number one, um, number one Oklahoma was in town with Buddy Heald. That was a loud, packed, fun game. Marquise Noel, Keontae Johnson, and crew Jerome Tang, and a three and zero start in Big Twelve play has his fan base fired up. Plus, you know the campaigning by the by the coaching staff. Yeah. Putting all the uh, attention out there like, hey, fans, we're winning. You need to get out here and watch this team play. If you can go fill up uh, the Superdome, or at least half of the Superdome, on a Saturday morning <laughs> in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, why don't you come out on Tuesday and watch the Cats take on Oklahoma State? I, I, I was looking at the tickets earlier today for the rest of the games coming up, and the next, including tonight, the next five games are sold out. Which, by the way, KU's game today against Oklahoma is not sold out. At Soonerville? No, it's in Allen Fieldhouse. Really? Not sold. It's close, but not there as of an hour ago. The next game you can get tickets to via the K-State ticket office is the TCU game on February 7th. Three games left where you can buy tickets through K-State. Now it's TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma, all big games. Um, There's still a decent amount left. But K-State's now, I've noticed they are now the national talk of college basketball they make a jump that nobody has done in over 50 years of the way they have jumped into the top 25 in the conference portion of the schedule from unranked to number 11 in the country nobody's made a jump like that since like wake forest in the in 50 years and it's a very winnable game against oklahoma state with the game being sold out, I don't know what the student section is going to look like, and I know I, I would hope a lot of students who had tickets or you know they can't make it to the game, they found somebody else that could use them or whatever. I don't know how all that works, but you know that that kind of leaves a question up in the air. But for the rest of the stands, mm-hmm. it's going to be loud, and we're going to have one of the best environments we've had in a long time. I can speak to the one student I know for sure who's going driving over tonight from Desoto, so Kansas City area. There were a couple of fans that reached out to me from Wichita, uh, wanting my tickets. Nice. I was like, "Well, here the catch is you got to come pick them up. Yeah, you're gonna be in town yeah. in time. I'm leaving here at four forty, so I can get over to Bramlage. Can you be here? No, can't be here. So, uh, shout to uh, Nelly from uh, KSO that's gonna take the tickets. Good. He's gonna go, I think, with his kid. But um, I, 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 I'm so pumped up for tonight. 
so pumped up. This team absolutely deserves it. They, de- they deserve the the fanfare and the respect. The fans just show up, and they are going to. And I, this is what Coach Tang and this staff have been working on since the introductory press conference mm-hmm. with building that relationship with the fans. Coach Tang saying, I'm not here to rebuild, I'm here to elevate, and it's not going to take long. It, gosh, it feels like it's just taken 15 games, and K-State now is early is you know one of the early favorites to potentially win a Big 12 championship because they're off to such a hot start. No, with a game like this, and I'll get to it in Mitch Palm here in just a moment, this is potentially a game they may become more down-to-earth with the scoring. Oh, yeah. Because Oklahoma State is such a good defensive team. But, you know, what does the environment, what kind of uh, impact did that, does that make on K-State? Because now Coach Tang even, you know, kind of commented on this yesterday. Now the target's on their back. They got the number by their name. Mm-hmm. They're back at home. Hopefully a good audience will be tuning in for this one because they've been getting such national attention lately, being now a top 15 team. But now, talking the talk, can they walk the walk? The walk is, can you continue this momentum, go 4-0 for the first time in 10 years in conference play, and be Oklahoma State, a team that's 9-6? and One of the things that is always talked about by coaches when you're – working with a program that has suffered through losing and or is moribund is that it takes time to get your team to be able to win. That is what makes this such an amazing job on top of everything else. You can call the early portion of the schedule soft. You can say all you want about how that schedule shook out. That's not on this staff, by the way, they didn't have a say in how the schedule shook out. That was already, for the most part, in place. Yeah, pretty much all but one game. But they took advantage of what was in front of them and got this group melded to a point that it didn't take them long to learn how to win. But Coach even mentioned yesterday, Desi Sills is a guy who's won at every place he's been. Keontae Johnson, you expect, is a guy who's going to be a winner no matter where he plays. Guys like that didn't need to learn how to win. And I think that that helped jumpstart this team as well when you revamp the roster and are looking at a completely different group of guys other than Marquise and Ish from a year ago. The comeback win at West Virginia was gigantic. Against, against West Virginia. Against what what'd I say? Comeback win, comeback win against West Virginia, sorry. Was gigantic. Huge. Ish Masood hitting the game winner in overtime, that to me told the story, or at least put on a bow to this point what the story is of how locked in this team is. Didn't even move the net. Yeah, Marquise Noel and Ish Masood, people forget Ish Masood was also involved with the recruiting and yes. talking to the recruits, going out with the guys. Being involved, I don't know, as as much as Marquise Noel. It was a little bit more, I think, out there with social media that Marquise Noel was involved with the recruiting, but Ish Masood was was there with him. Mm-hmm. He he was very involved with that. And for him to take all the backlash he's been getting on social media for not playing great and then hits that game-winning shot, he needed that, and I was so happy for him. Ish has shown a level of maturity away from the court 
by the way, just in watching even yesterday at the press conference and how he acts and all of that compared to 18 months ago when he came into this program. It is a completely different ish as a personality than what he was at the time. He's matured an awful lot, and I and his struggles, I think, are part of that. Everything that played out last spring is a part of that, and I think some of the, the slings and the arrows that he has withstood are part of that, but he recognizes that it's up to him to make the change, not to listen to what's being said about him. I, I had said, I remember saying uh, before the season, uh, this was probably back in the spring, like when the hire was made and before the recruiting, like bringing all the recruits in the 11. And I, I, I was saying out loud, you know, to me, you know, obviously give Tang some time to build up this program, build it to an elite level. And I'm not going to so much focus maybe on this year, like this year, let's just, oh, you know, yeah. let's build the team and hopefully it's successful, build towards the future. That's kind of silly at this point. The way these 15 games have gone so far is way better than I would have imagined. I, I would not have predicted early on, you know, after the Cal game, after Butler, that nobody would have predicted that Coach Ting was going to beat Scott Drew in their first meeting. They have proven to be much better than we expected. And Coach Tang and this staff expect the fans to show up more than they've been expected to in, in recent years. Mm-hmm. And they are deserving of this. And also, you know, the fan base is just as deserving to have great basketball. And it's finally back. It's finally back after three or four years. Honestly, that's K-Staters speaking with their pocketbooks about what we were seeing and what we are now seeing. I think that that's a big part of it. I really recognize, and, and most do, a change had to happen with this program because of exactly what we're seeing. There's reason for people to be excited. They weren't excited about where this program was. Sure, absolutely. They, they were tired and burned out of where this program was. All right, when we come back, let's get to a preview of tonight's K-State-Oklahoma State game. Mitch Palm makes its prediction up next. We continue with the game. Mitch Fortner, Trey Coverdale, and Travion Berkland sold out game tonight in Bramlage Coliseum. And here's the thing. It's not even K-State's biggest home game. To be honest right? with you, it's not even close. It's like in the middle. With all the you know non-cons and uh, all the big boys be coming in a little bit later, Oklahoma State doesn't feel like a top-half Big 12 team. Six o'clock tip, pregame five. They're sneaky. Yeah, well, I'll get to more information here in a little bit. I'll give you the breakdown here in just a moment. But uh, first, some uh, K-State football breaking news. That is Phillip Brooks, K-State's second-leading receiver from this past season. Just about 600 yards, four touchdowns, also kick and punt returner. Will be returning next season. I think that's good news. It's great to have Phillip back. That veteran type of wide receiver, after a couple of other veterans, Mm -hmm. will not be playing any longer with Kansas State. So the Cats will have some solid leadership at wide receiver next year. Great to hear Phillip Brooks is going to be returning. I didn't notice this until now. Deuce Vaughn was not the first, second, third, or fourth leading receiver this season. He was fifth. Fifth leading receiver. I was like, oh, I didn't realize he was uh, that far down. But, you know, Ben Sinnott was a bit of a uh, game changer this year for the Cats. He, of course, will also be returning. So K-State second and fourth leading receivers returning from this past season. Right, Travion, let's preview the pokes. 
Tonight's prediction. Cats 14 and 1, 3 and 0 in the conference. They've won eight in a row. Oklahoma State 9 and 6, 1 and 2 in the conference. They're coming off a loss to Texas. Now, how about this? They lost to Texas 56 to 46. That's after. It's <laughs> a week after K State uh, gave up, not quite a week, but uh, gave up 103 to Texas. However, scored 106 or 116. So that kind of in a way, paints the picture of the way uh, we're going to break down Mitch Palm here. Their win, Oklahoma State in Big 12 play, was 67-60 over West Virginia. What greatly stands out about Oklahoma State is their defense. Through three games in conference play, they're forcing teams to shoot 38.3%, only allowing 62 points a game. That's a great start for their defense. They've held teams to less than 40% shooting from the field, in 16 of their last 17 games dating back mm. to last year. Jeez Louise. Mm. Mm. Uh, behind the arc, 10 of Oklahoma State's 15 opponents have shot less than 30% this year. Texas shot 31.5%. This is a good defense, guys. According to the notes of Oklahoma State, their defense is the sixth best in the country in defending two-pointers. Oklahoma State's not a deep team. They're maybe seven deep, maybe seven deep. And, heck, their best player is one of their bigs. Get that guy into foul trouble if you attack. That'd be amazing. Get some fouls. However, Musa Cisse, who is their big guy, eight points, ten rebounds a game, is an amazing defender. He protects the paint better than maybe anyone in the Big 12. Did not play against Texas. And they still had a lot of block shots. 12 against Texas. Without him. Yeah, without him. And he's their leading shot blocker at five and a half a game. I'm sorry, 2.7 a game. Oklahoma State averages five and a half a game. That is top 20 in the Big 12. But Musa Cisse, he has dominated through 15 games. He has five double-doubles to his name. And uh, that's second most in the conference. That's only behind Jalen Wilson of Kansas, who has seven. And it's also tough to keep him off the boards. He's averaging 10 rebounds a game. And five of his past eight games, he has reached double digits. Offensively, Oklahoma State is a bit of a different story. They have struggled, to say the least so far, in Big 12 play, shooting just 38% from the field in three games. They're shooting 33% from three-point range. The thing about Oklahoma State and shooting the three, they usually get hot or they're cold. Really not a whole lot in between. Not really an average day from three for Oklahoma State. They're either going to shoot lights out or they're not going to have a good day. Last two games for Oklahoma State, they have combined 11 for 37 from three-point range. That's not good. 29.7%. Well, the two games before that against Kansas and against uh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi, they hit 26 threes, 13 apiece in those two games, and they shot 42% from three combined. So again, they either go hot or they go cold. Bryce Thompson is their scariest shooter. He's averaging 14 points a game. John Michael Wright right behind him at 12 points a game. They're their two best three-point shooters. 
Thompson is by far the best. He shoots 41% from three. John Michael Wright is around 36%. Also, really good scorer is Avery Johnson, or uh, Avery Anderson, rather. But uh, he has not been as loud as those two so far in Big 12 play. The thing is, Oklahoma State likes to drive. They also like to try to get inside. They like to draw some fouls. They like to score inside. The interesting stat is when they hit 55% or better from two-point range, they are unbeaten. 8-0 mm. and when they are doing a solid job of scoring inside. When they're not scoring well inside, they've only won one game. They're usually really struggling because, going back to what I was saying earlier, shooting from the field, jumpers, three-point shot, it just hasn't been there so far this year. Also, a key. K-State has to play good defense, and I think they will – because I think they know it's it's in the scouting report. Oklahoma State turns it over. Not a good team at taking care of the basketball. They average 15 turnovers a game. That is in the bottom 50 of the country. Mm-hmm. And their assist to turnover ratio is 0.88. That's poor. That's not good. Both of those numbers are worst in the conference. My keys for this matchup are really quite simple. Don't let Oklahoma State control the game because. The Cowboys remind me of Wichita State. Not really a great team, but because of their defense, they drag you down to their style. They drag down how good you really are. And that kind of worries me that this could be a closer game that we might expect. But also the atmosphere. The pressure's on K-State. The pressure's not on Oklahoma State. The eyes are watching the Cats. The eyes that are going to be in Bramlage expect K-State to play well. Well, the lights out, to be honest with you. We've seen Marquise Noel just kill it from the field in the last three games. Keontae Johnson can score at will at times. Hopefully the defense will be a little bit better. But with the potentially Bramlage Coliseum being packed, it being loud, how does K-State respond? For most of these guys, this will be one of the craziest environments they've ever played, if not the craziest environment they've ever played in, unless they've, unless they've played in Allen Fieldhouse. Ken Palm says K-State has a 63% chance of winning tonight, 70-67. to 67. By the way, the, the spread I saw on this, I believe it was 5.5 in favor of the Cats. I'm, in, I'm giving K-State a lot more credit on this and a lot bigger chance of winning, 84%. Mitch Palm says the Cats win tonight 77 to 65. Troy, do you have a prediction? I'm probably going to run it a little lower than you are just because I have concerns about the Cats getting out in transition tonight. I'm going to go with a 65 55 final tonight. There you have it. You have Mitch Palm. Troy Palm also checking in with his prediction. I'm going to get out of here. I'm out. Troy, Travion, they're going to take you the rest of the way. And because Troy's taken over, it's not a number one song of the day. Banger. It's a number two song of the day. I'm going to listen to it in the car. I'm out of here. More of the game next. Go Cats. was a gimme today for putting on as a song because 
I can't believe this was a number two song of the, you know. November 1989. That's crazy. They followed it up with Rome, which hit number three in March the following year. Literally just months. Bang, bang. The two of them. Right. Like that. Tonight, this group performs its last concert where it all began. They're performing in Athens, Georgia tonight to celebrate the essentially completion of their final tour. The B-52s. They've been together since the mid-70s, which when you hear ages, you'll understand now why they've (laughs) elected to stop touring. And in fact... Already, um, Keith Strickland, their longtime guitarist, stopped touring in 2012. So they've gone on tour without him in the past as a three-person, essentially. Fred Schneider, now 71. Cindy Wilson, 65. Kate Pearson, 74. They've decided that it is time. And so tonight, their final concert is taking place in the place that's celebrating after last night's College Football National Championship, Athens, Georgia. They were part of what was a... It it almost became legendary. The Athens music scene in the days of early college-slash-alternative radio. Right. Because you had R.E.M. coming out of there. Well, the B-52s were contemporaries of R.E.M. It's why Kate Pearson appeared on Shiny Happy People of R.E.M.'s. This song came to them at a time where they were trying to figure out what the next stage of their career was going to be. You see, when they originally began playing together, they were a five-piece. Cindy Wilson's older brother was the original guitarist, Ricky. Strickland, while he played guitar, he was the drummer originally. And so you had the Wilsons, Strickland, Pearson, and Schneider getting together in 1976 to first perform. They took their name from the hairdo right. that the ladies wore predominantly through the first two decades. Does the ladies still have the big hairdo today? No, they do not still okay. put them up that way. No, say. no. Uh, <laughs> and in fact, in Cindy's case, she's moved towards wearing a lot of wigs. Mm, I got you. But Kate still has beautifully red dyed hair. Right. So right. that has not changed. In 1985, they were struggling to write new material for their next album. Tell me, do you know when Rock Lobster came out for them? 1978. Oh, wow. Originally. A version of it then would hit the charts in 79. Right. And that was the first time that they ever hit the charts. It did make Mm -hmm. the Billboard 100. So... In 85, they're trying to figure out just what that next phase is going to be. They lived together in the same house, and it wasn't working. So they decided to try to write songs separately and began recording in July of 85. 
during the recording, Ricky Wilson, who had been suffering from AIDS, passed away. None of the other band members besides Strickland knew this, including his own sister. Cindy Wilson was devastated. Her bandmates were heavily damaged. Everybody went into seclusion. They released the album that they were working on, but elected to not tour in back of it, did no promotion of it, and took an extended hiatus. But Strickland began composing again in 1988. After he played some of what he had put together, they decided that they would get back together and try writing again. So with Pearson, Wilson, and Schneider contributing the lyrics and medleys, the band released Cosmic Thing in 1989. And it went nuts. Think about that. 1989. So by the end of the year already, they had at number two. Right. And then would get Rome in March of 1990. Channel Z was actually the first song off the album. It oh. also charted. It was an amazing album and a heck of a comeback for a group that many thought were de- was dead in 1987 how many albums did it sell i don't have the number in front of me so i cannot tell you it's got to be like triple platinum or something at least so the inspiration was a cabin around athens where if you could believe it they put together rock lobster Ah. the cabin actually had been home to kate pearson for a time in the 70s It burned down in December 2004. Tin Roof Rusted was originally an outtake from a jamming session where Wilson continued her line while the tape had stopped. There is no literally meaning to the line. It meant a rusted tin roof. So do not look into it any deeper. This wound up being the band's first song to reach the top 40 on the Billboard Hot 100. Top the charts in Australia, in Ireland, in New Zealand, not in the U.S., not in the U.K. or Canada. Strange. But went top five in all three. Do you know what kept it from the number one spot? I did not look it up today because I was heavily invested in telling the B-52 story today. (laughs) Uh, Oh, and just for fun, you've seen the video. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Best group video at 1990s MTV Video Awards. Nice. Do you know who made a cameo in it in his first mainstream appearance? They would go on to repay him not too long ago, actually, by appearing on his show. I'm not sure. RuPaul. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. He is in there. He is in the video. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were guest judges on the ninth season of Drag Race. Oh, awesome. <laughs> where the song was performed in a lip sync for your life. And as just a completely odd item, but shouldn't be surprising given Steve Jobs, Love Shack was the developmental code given Apple Computer to their first Mac OS compatible portable. Wow. (laughs) Which would go on to be, of course, a Macintosh laptop. Right. That's crazy. (laughs) What are the odds of that? Uh, Yeah. So tonight, one final party 
for a group that I saw at Sandstone in 1991. Nice. Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers opened. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was a concert. Yeah, that sounds like... That was tremendous. Really different, but fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have a friend with another story about seeing the B-52s at the Midland in Kansas City that is completely off-color and cannot be told. Oh. Serious history there. Gotta tease it without even I, I <laughs> making just, any inclination yeah, of what we're, happened. We're, we're just going to put it at literally... Uh, some stories just never can be told, can never right. see the light of day, <laughs> except for in private company. What well, got so crazy at the B-52s exactly, concert? Exactly, exactly. Midland is a beautiful theater, by the way. Absolutely, wonderful theater. Mm-hmm. All right. You got the uh, plate ready next as we uh, roll forth here and get ready. By the way, K-State basketball coverage starts at the top of the hour tonight here on K-Man. All right. Do you remember what your favorite class in college was? In college? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was an easy one. It was a summer course that I had, and I still happen to have the three books tied to it. Oh, wow. Baseball in the History of America. Nice. And one of the great things about the class was that a former minor league pitcher who was a history professor at K-State taught the class. Mm. That was also my first opportunity to meet one Buck O'Neill. We road tripped to Kansas City. This was a time when the museum was still, the the Negro Leagues Museum was still a uh, planned item, but the fundraising was going on. And so literally we're in an office crammed with paraphernalia that they were holding to put into the museum whenever it opened. And Buck O'Neill regaling us with stories. Oh, wow. Then we went to the Royals game that night and wow. enjoyed ourselves. That that was the field trip. That was a tremendous field trip. And that but, was a whole summer course? That like was a whole, whole summer course. Nice. We had Tuesday, Tuesday Thursdays, uh, about a 90-minute 90, 90 uh, class that ran through summer school. Nice. Did you feel like... Because when I took like history of rock in college, like yeah. to me that was a really like I didn't even had to think about it or study much. Was that kind of what that class was for you? It was. Yeah, it was. And you know, it, one of the things that I thoroughly enjoyed about it though is because you mix a couple of things that are that are favorites for me, and that is right. baseball and history. Right. You know, it, right. You, you coupled them together, and uh, that was that was a lot of fun. And, I bet. And, and some of my, I have three really good friends still from that class that I'm in communication with uh, quite a bit. I've been informed, by the way, by a, a good friend that uh, that uh, I've dated myself quite a bit here with the B-52s reference. <laughs> Buddy, that's both of us. <laughs> Cats coming up top of the hour. As they get ready to take on Oklahoma State, we're back at it tomorrow on the game. Four o'clock, Mitch and I with you tomorrow. I believe D.Y. is going to be with us as well. We'll look forward to it. Go Cats!